Listening to the Ron and Don Show. And yes, my dad's pretty annoying. Hey, you guys, what's going on? It's episode number 225 now of the Ron and Don Show. What is up, Ron and Don Nation? Yeah, over a million plays, and thank you guys for tuning in. We really appreciate that. People ask us all the time, how can we stay in touch with you outside the podcast? We have something called the Nation News. In fact, I wrote something this week that we're going to talk about in episode 226, and it's about defunding the police and do we deserve a refund on the defund. You can get signed up for the Nation News, and also uh, you can follow us on our new Facebook page uh, for Ron and Don Radio. Yeah, so uh, Ron and Don, sitdown.com is the place to go. There's a thing for the newsletter, the Nation News, up at the top. Just put in your email address, and you'll be signed up for that. That thing drops weekly. And then on social media, we have uh, Ron and Don Radio now as a Facebook profile. You follow that, and we try to put more of our radio-specific stuff there. The real estate stuff is on Ron and Don Sit Down. Ron and Don Brokers. Yeah. Hey, uh, coming up on the Ron and Don Show, uh, pretty excited about the Ku Klux Klan Claws. <laughs> yes. Somebody is pulling out the Ku Klux Klan Claws, and you probably already know. If you Quadruple just, K. You can already just probably figure out who this involves and why there is going to be a lawsuit and a civil trial. Uh, moving forward. Also, a Texas mayor, as we are speaking right now, there's another weather system that is moving into Texas. If you've never lived in Texas, there are no mountains to slow weather systems down. It gets very cold. It gets very slick. And Carl's, in fact, Ron, when you and I lived there, we would see dozens and dozens and dozens of cars, sometimes a hundred vehicles pile up in the same way that you would see things on I-5 uh, on a on a cloudy morning, they have ice it's storms here. there, when, yeah. and it's no no joke. You'll get two three inches of solid black ice. Yeah. Anyway, we're going to tell you about a local mayor there who just really, you know what, slapped uh, his town of four thousand that he used to be the mayor of. He went out on social media, attacked them during the storm, and now he's uh, been forced to step aside. We'll tell you what this mayor did. It is pretty outrageous, you guys. Before we get to that, let's get to this. We talked about Rush Limbaugh. Uh, last week. And by the time you've listened to this podcast, or you're listening to this podcast, uh, Rush has now passed away. It's probably about a week ago. What, what's really interesting to me, and, and something that I've been trying to do, is there's a lot of people that feel like we can't have conversations in this country about politics. I don't believe that. I think that that's a cop-out. I think that that's an easy route. And one of the problems that we do have is that we cannot, we no longer can civilly sit down at the dinner table and have a discussion with a family member or a friend or a next door neighbor that thinks differently than we do. For some reason, we now say, hey, we just don't have those discussions in my family. We don't have those discussions at Thanksgiving and Christmas. We just don't talk about it. I don't think that that's healthy. I really don't. I read a story the other day. It's very interesting, Ron. They took a group of people in Kentucky, 20 people that had voted for President Trump, 
And they all jumped on a bus together and they headed toward Massachusetts. And they sat down, they socially distanced, they were masked up. And the people in Massachusetts, this was, this is Biden country. So everybody that's sitting in that room from Massachusetts, they voted for Biden. Everybody else that is sitting in that room that voted for President Trump, uh, they are from Kentucky. And they decided, you know what we're going to do for a weekend is we're just going to have a retreat and we're going to see if we can sit in a room and we're going to see if we can talk to each other. We always hear now this spin that we are, and we hear politicians sometimes will say things uh, to divide us, but then we'll hear church leaders sometimes say, hey, you know what? We are more alike than we are different. And you know what they found out after they sat together and they ate together and they socially distanced and they talk about their families and their kids is they found out that that really is true. That when we sit together, even with people that we disagree with, and they certainly had arguments, but they also found out and concluded after this meeting that they are more similar than they are apart. And in fact, now they have a monthly meeting where they all jump on and they connect on this Zoom call. So I think it's really important to know. Rush Limbaugh has died. He's no longer with us. Somebody on my Facebook page who I said, you know what? He, he, he just, someone went on my Facebook page and compared the death of Ruth Bader Ginsburg to Rush Limbaugh. And I looked at that and I pushed back and I told this gentleman, his name's Lewis. And I said, Lewis, I said, you have to understand in my mind, Rush Limbaugh was a, was a, was a college dropout. And so was I, right? And then what Rush Limbaugh did is he did something that was pretty brilliant. When people stop listening to the news He said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to take the news and I'm going to entertain people with it. It's called infotainment. Larry King said the same thing when they used to destroy Larry King and he had these huge numbers at night on CNN. They said, you're not a real journalist. And he said, guess what? I'm not a real journalist. I'm an infotainer. What I'm doing is I'm taking infotainment and I'm entertaining you. That's what Rush Limbaugh was. He took information and sometimes sometimes very divisive information. And some of the information, in my opinion, like the birther movement, he made up. But he would take information and entertain people with that. Ruth Bader Ginsburg didn't take information and entertain people with that. She took one of the greatest minds in the world when it comes to law. She could have gone out and made hundreds of millions of dollars. Rush Limbaugh, on average, made $100 million a year off his business of infotainment. Ruth Bader Ginsburg, could have made that time, kind of money, but she decided to work for us. She decided to be a, a government worker. And as a result of being a government worker, she didn't get rich because of that. So I, th- I think the comparison is very different. And we have to understand what Rush Limbaugh did in my mind was take information and he was able, he was able in the same way that politicians do this, to divide us. When you are able to divide people, you are able to sometimes exchange that division for lots of cash and lots of money, right? Because now what people do is they would tune into that radio station. They would hear something that Rush Limbaugh would say. And instead of doing their own work and deciding whether or not the birther movement, for instance, with President Obama is true, they'd say, you know what? Rush said it. He's educated. Uh, He sounds very convinced. And so now I'm convinced. And now you've adopted something that Rush Limbaugh believed. And as a result of that, again, making $100 million 
a year. Rush Limbaugh, may he rest in peace, but he was an infotainer and he lined his pockets as a result. So did Larry King. And guess what? When Ron and I were at Cairo Radio, and guess what we're doing on this podcast? We're taking information. We're injecting our passion and opinion. And at the end of the day, that's all we are, is we're infotainers too. Yeah, I um, there's a lot of different responses to Rush Limbaugh's death online. To back up to what you said probably like five minutes ago when you get different people in a room, I found that I've done an experiment with this. If you, if you just do talking points, like you said, People latch on to whatever their talking points are and you get nowhere. Mm -hmm. But if you frame it up with, um, and and I did this once with someone that leans pretty far to the right about insurance, health insurance. And they were going on and on and on about uh, insurance and about just uh, the difference between how the right and the left think about healthcare and this Obamacare is evil and the whole nine. And I said, okay, let's do it. Like, let's, Set that off to the side and let's take a real life example. Let's say that your daughter's best friend that we all had just hung out with earlier that day, and I'm not going to name any names. Let's say your daughter's best friend got very sick. She has uh, cancer, childhood uh, leukemia, and her parents can't afford to take care of her. Or her parents don't have uh, health care. What should happen to her? And they, without hesitation, said, well, she should get health care. I said, you just told me 10 minutes ago that they shouldn't, that people should be responsible for themselves. And so we went down that road. And I said, okay, so what you're describing is socialized medicine. So you're, is that what you believe in? Well, no, that's not what I believe in. Okay, so you think that your daughter's best friend should die then? Well, no, she should get health care because we love her. I said, well, that's socialized medicine. You're asking the state and the government to give her health care, even though her parents don't have health care. And they sat there for a minute and were like, well, I just don't agree with illegals should get it. I said, we're not talking about illegals. We're talking about your daughter's best friend. Well, what about these people that just, we're not doing whatabouts. We're talking about your, your daughter's best friend. Let's talk about her. And so if I kept them in that lane, we basically invented a version of socialized medicine. When you take away the whatabouts and you take away the yeah buts and you take away the bumper stickers and you get down to an actual thought experiment and you can do this with anything. You can do it with drugs. You can do it with homelessness. You can do it with the military. You can do it with Colin Kaepernick. You can do it with whatever you want to do is when you take away the whether I have an R or a D after my name and just say, how would we solve this problem? Most of the time I've found that people don't go, well, yeah, that 10 year old should die. Most people don't do that. They say, well, of course, if the medical care is available, then we should take care of her. Most people, when you say, hey, that illegal immigrant that's working at the meatpacking plant, they actually do pay taxes. It's just, it's for a fake social security number. So the money's going into the system for a real social security number. And they're not asking to get any of the money back. And the federal government looks the other way and they know that you're paying in and not asking back. They know that there might be four different people paying in on the same social security number. They know that the federal government takes the money. Right. So when you go down that line and you take the bumper sticker slogans out, they're like, Oh, right. So yeah, maybe their kid is going to school, 
but you have mom and dad paying into a social security account that's not actually theirs. And most people, most people, there are some extremists that are just like, hey, kick them out. I don't care. Doesn't matter to me. Um, most people end up coming back to a thing that's more in the middle. It was very interesting. I don't think we ever got a chance to talk about this. There was a New York Times reporter that embedded himself into a QAnon group uh, for like a month that, that swapped audio uh, recordings and they would just do like a voice memo on their phone. It went into this private and it was a public chat room and they were going on and on about this was around the election time and stuff. And the interesting thing that happened is after they had this set of beliefs and those beliefs didn't come true, that Donald Trump didn't show up on election day and arrest all the Democrats and, you know, get four more years through a series of exchanges, they basically invented journalism Within QAnon, they said, hey, we need to verify what people say. And hey, I need to get two separate sources on a fact that are independent of each other before I'm going to believe that fact. Because they were upset after the Capitol Hill riots that what they expected to happen that day didn't happen. Didn't happen. And so they ended up in these chat rooms, some of them going, what happened here? Trying to figure it out. Yeah. And so it was very interesting from uh, this third party looking into it. It's like, you guys invented journalism. You guys invented verifying sources. You guys invented vetting someone. You invented an editorial board. And so while they would all say, we hate the New York Times, we hate the Washington Post, we hate the Seattle Times, that's fake news, we don't believe in it. Once their beliefs were did not become truth in reality, they basically said, you know, what we should have done. We should have verified these things and vetted these people. And the, at the end of that article, the person was like, yeah, that's what journalists do. Yeah. And so that's where I think it is important to have political conversations. But I believe you just come at them from the thing that's worked best for me is to go, let's solve the issue of fill in the blank. Take politics outside. How would you solve that? And, and, and see then, what people come yeah, up with. And hopefully on some of that, you're wrong. And, and, or you change your position or you, or you listen. Because the important thing is, is that could be a real gotcha moment too. And when people feel gotcha or they feel stupid, they're not going to meet you in the middle. They're not. Here, here's what I think about, to kind of put a bow around this. What Rush Limbaugh did is, is he used a lot of divisive language, especially towards women. Especially towards women. Very misogynistic. If you loved him and you thought he was a great voice for the right, remember, he was an infotainer. He was taking the news of the day and entertaining you with it. Ron just did that. Ron didn't do that as a journalist or a couple guys on a podcast. Here's the information. Here's my perspective. And guess what? You get to have your own perspective too. Here, 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 here's what happened to Lewis and I this morning because we exchanged things on Facebook. And he was really coming from the right and talking about Rush Limbaugh dying and people shouldn't be dancing on his graves. And we shouldn't even be talking to him. We should just wish him and rest in peace. And I pushed back and I said, you know, Lewis, I, I think the important thing is that we do have these conversations about Rush Limbaugh, about what he stood for, and my perspective on Rush, and your perspective, which is very, very different. Uh, and this guy's an educator at a big-time university here locally. Uh, he used to run a big branch of and uh, controlled uh, part of Microsoft. So this is not a dumb guy. This is, this is a super smart guy that's standing in front of students and teaching them today. And so as we kind of went back and forth, what, what we agreed to do is to continue to have conversations and to, we actually use the language. Will you, and I asked him, I said, will you meet me in the middle? Will you meet me in the middle? Even though we don't agree. 
Can we keep having these conversations? Can I keep learning from you? Would you keep learning from me? And can we meet you in the middle? And so we decided to, to go have lunch at some point when it's okay with COVID-19 and meet in the middle. When my son was born, there's a song that Bruce Hornsby wrote. It's about the skies of gray. And I'll end it with this. He was having two twins, scared to death of being a father, which I totally relate to. And the thing that freaked him out is sometimes we live in such a divisive black and white world. That's where politicians want to take you to a black and white world. We don't, we don't, we don't root or vote for politicians that are in the middle. We don't. We do not, especially after this last election cycle. Or maybe we do. Maybe Joe Biden, is he more to the middle than, than, uh, than maybe some Republicans think? And we'll find out. Anyway, Bruce Hornsby's sitting there. He's writing this song. And he's thinking about all the things that could happen to his kids in the course of a lifetime. And how hard, how damn hard life can be sometimes. Sometimes you have a worldwide pandemic. Sometimes you have electricity that is just turned off in the great state of Texas. And you see people down there and they are cooking snow in Texas in major markets and major cities because they don't have a clean water supply. They're being told to boil water and they can't boil water because they don't have the utilities to do so. Some people are in their house freezing, just freezing to death right now. Bad things happen. Bad things happen. Cancer happens. People we love and care about, that happens. People go through divorce. These things happen. And what Bruce Hornsby says to his kids is he says, there'll be gray skies coming. But when those gray skies come, that's when you'll see me as your father. And as you grow older, as your friend, I will meet you in the middle. Life is not black and white. Life is gray. And that's where I will stand. And that's where I will make my commitment to be your parent. Meeting each other in the middle. Some of the great infotainers out there want us to call each other libtards want us to say dump Trump. They want us to fight. They want us to riot. They want us to hate. Because that division put a lot of money in their pockets. Politicians do the same thing. They will do anything, and I mean anything, to get reelected. And we see that all the time. So don't worry about meeting them in the middle. Meet me in the middle. Meet Ron in the middle. I'll meet you in the middle. We'll see you on the other side of this. It's just like talking to a longtime friend. They are so fun and they were so fun to work with. When it comes to your real estate journey, you need an expert team and a playbook. The Ron and Don Playbook. It all starts with a Ron and Don sit down. I think the expertise provided by Ron and Don is really something I haven't seen before. I've bought probably a half a dozen properties over my lifetime. So I was just so impressed at how all in they were from the very beginning. They knew what we were going to need to do in order to get the house that I wanted. And they were absolutely committed to making that happen for me. So responsive. And I would hear from them if they needed something for me immediately. If I called them, they would answer. They were super responsive. Uh, Dawn was a bit of a magician, being that like there was things that nobody knew the answers to. It was remarkable, and I would get the call, hey, I was able to get the plans, the plans that if we don't get, we don't buy this house. And I get the call, and there's four boxes of plans. It was amazing. The sale price was 55K over ask, and 
that just blew us away. We were absolutely ecstatic. Thanks to their skill to negotiate, we are so grateful and so happy and so pleased. They were a thousand percent instrumental in making this deal happen and making sure we closed on time and that I was able to get into my dream condo. I'm just absolutely thrilled. I mean, I knew that this was going to be hard to find and we did it so quickly and got just the perfect house in exactly where I needed it to be at a price that I feel really good about. So I could not be happier with my experience. I really felt like I could trust them. They made some promises on some mm-hmm. things that, and they delivered on them with no questions mm-hmm. asked, you know, and they came through. I absolutely recommend Ron and Don for your real estate transactions or just a cup of coffee and a sit down. Ready to get in the game? Get your playbook and schedule your Ron and Don sit down now at ronanddonsitdown.com. Follow us on the social media platforms. Just search for Ron Upshaw or Don O'Neill. All right, you guys, we're back on episode 225. I just looked it up. If you want to listen to that Bruce Hornsby song, it's called Fields of Gray. So the gray skies come, fields of gray. And you get this picture of him walking with his kids through these fields of gray. Uh, And it's really, really powerful. It reminds me when someone asked my, as a new parent, they said, what are you going to do if your son's gay? I'm like, It was a very odd question when he was first born. I was just like, I don't know. Like when he's like, have, like, one, like have lunch with him and, and one day old. They're asking yeah, you this. What are you going to do if he's gay? I'm like, I don't know. Meet his boyfriend at some point. <laughs> why do you, why is that even in the, on your radar yeah. screen when a kid's like a toddler? Yeah. Anyway, fields of gray. Bruce Horns, you want to check it out. Also, you just heard from one of our great clients and or clients. Uh, if you want to reach out to us, if you need a buyer's playbook or a seller's playbook, we have those right now. In fact, you can reach directly to Ron, Ron at Windermere.com. That's Ron at Windermere.com. And to sign up for a sit down, uh, you can go to Ron and Don, sitdown.com. We're doing that a lot right now, you guys, because the real estate market is hot in Seattle and really in all the bedroom communities. I, I'm really interested and surprised by how with people that can work at home now, there are folks that are coming like, hey, we can live wherever we want now for the first time in my life. I, I can live in Texas. I could live in Wisconsin. I could live in Kent and still do the same job. I'm not quitting my job. I can just live wherever I want now. Yeah, we talked to some Ron and Don Nation listeners this morning, and they're thinking about leaving Port Orchard and moving to Texas. And they have lots of kids and lots of dogs and a big family. And they're just like, we want to live in Texas because we're closer to family. Uh, and then also we do jobs where we can do everything online and we can, so we, we don't have to live in the Seattle market anymore. So we certainly uh, see some of that. The Ku Klux Klan clause. What is going on here? Uh, it is a clause that's been rediscovered and is about to be used in a court of law for concerning a former president. I guess. Yeah, this is super interesting to me. And, and I, I kind of want to, pull back for one second. So like we just went through that impeachment trial, uh, trial and air quotes that of course, uh, Donald Trump was not convicted of that. That is a political trial. That's not a criminal trial. It's not a civil trial. It's a purely political trial. And so the, there were the 43 senators, I think of what it was that voted to not convict along political lines. So they weren't arguing, if you paid close attention to it, none of them were saying that there wasn't evidence. 
None of them were saying that it couldn't be proven. They were saying there's a technicality because of when we did it that we can't convict. And so now there are cases popping up, and I think there's going to be a lot of them. There are cases popping up against Donald Trump uh, that want to take it not from the political court, but to an actual court of law, either a civil court or a criminal court. And so that is very, very different uh, in the way the case is going to be handled, the, the evidentiary proceedings, etc. And so there is a lawsuit that just dropped here recently. It is a uh, congressman, representative, representative Benny Thompson, Democrat from Mississippi, along with the NAACP. They have uh, filed a suit against Donald Trump and Rudy Giuliani, and then the Proud Boys and some other other groups as well. Oath Keepers. And the Oath Keepers. Yep. And they are using the, the 1871 law, the Ku Klux Klan Act. Mm. And, and what this act, the, these laws were created right after the Civil War because the Ku Klux Klan were using intimidation, violence, and conspiracy theories to suppress elections does that sound familiar yeah and i mean they would literally literally uh they would plant a, a cross in your yard they would they would burn that cross and then they would ride through your neighborhood on horseback firing guns into the air throwing molotov cocktails burning churches and homes to the ground and really making sure because as the United States moved towards civil rights, they're like, hey, you, you, you might be moving towards civil rights on paper, but we're going to make sure in your neighborhood that you don't vote. We're going to make sure in your neighborhood, uh, if you don't stay in line, right? Uh, there were people in my family, my grandfather would call them uppity ends. If you're an uppity end uh, and you don't stay in line, then you would, get a, you would get a visit from the Ku Klux Klan. And as a result of that, uh, sometimes people in your own neighborhood would be lynched, they would be maimed, they'd be raped, they'd be hurt. All this done in front of children. It's really amazing uh, what was happening. So those were the overt things. And then as people began to push back against that, it turned more insidious where you would have you know, maybe a group of guys with Confederate flags standing in front of the, the voting booth. So, you, you know, you'd be intimidated to walk in. There would be conspiracies where it's like, no, 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 we're not voting on Tuesday. This district votes next Wednesday. And uh, they would publicize these things and put out flyers and bulletins. People would show up the following Wednesday and the vote had already happened. So those were conspiracies, intimidation. So this group, these the NAACP and this representative from Mississippi are now going to say, we have a case that we can prove that Donald Trump, Rudy Giuliani, the Proud Boys, the Oath Keepers, these folks had a coordinated and conspiratorial um, intimidation campaign to prohibit him from doing his job in the Capitol. And so as a person of color, he is invoking this law mm. And legal analysts are looking at this and going, I think they have a case hmm. because it was so transparent. What, what uh, Donald Trump was doing was so transparent through his fundraisers and publicizing that event. Everything is recorded. Uh, then the march to the Capitol is recorded on a thousand different uh, cameras and cell phones. And you could basically just take the 13 minute video that was used in the impeachment put that over here now into a civil case and use their own words against them, use their own emails against them, prove that it's a conspiracy because it's very easy to say it was, it was known 
that the election wasn't stolen and you said this. You were given this information in the White House because all that stuff is tracked. Uh, Public Information Act, you can get all the emails. It would be pretty easy to prove that Donald Trump was told that you did not win this election and yet you raised $71 million for the state of Georgia that you didn't spend any of the money uh, trying to overturn that election. You pocketed all $71 million. It's pretty easy to draw straight lines uh, between these conspiracies. Well, and I'll tell you, I'll I'll tell you, in, in my opinion, what happened. Mitch McConnell wants Donald Trump out, but he also knows and knew that if they impeached him, then he might be toast and a lot of Republicans would be toast. And in in the midterms, they'd have a hard time uh, taking back uh, House and Senate seats. And at some point, the executive branch. So he's like, I am not going to vote here to impeach. He talked to Pelosi. He said, look, don't drag this out for four months because you're not going to have the votes. And whatever you do, don't start bringing in people that have been charged in Capitol Hill and have all these witnesses. Let's get it over with. We got 16 hours. You got 16 hours in this trial. We'll do half the time. You'll do half the time. We'll have the vote. You won't get the vote, but this is what you'll get from me is I will go down on the House floor and I will put Donald Trump in, in, in a very bad light. And I will say that he was the cause of the insurrection. As the Republican leader, I will say he is the cause. I will say that there is a case. And that's exactly what he did. Mitch Connell went down on the floor and he made the case. Uh, and that he spoke did- as dynamically as Don did. So all that to say, pivoting back to, to this trial, what we're going to get to hear now that we haven't heard is all these Capitol Hill rioters, we're, we're going to get to hear from witnesses now that we didn't hear in the political trial, in the civil case. This thing will go on for years, and you will see. Uh, this is just one case. So, well, and, and, and all these folks that went to the Capitol are now saying, hey, we were bamboozled. The president lied to us. The president egged us on. We went down to the Capitol because we were told to. That Those are the things that they're beginning to say through their attorneys. And that wasn't what they said right after the Capitol Hill riots happened. But when they began to realize what trouble they were in, maybe they're accurate. Maybe they're blame shifting on the president. But there will be a lot of witnesses that will come forth that did very violent things, including throwing throwing fire extinguishers and killing police officers. Think about taking that guy and putting him on the stand and saying, why did you throw that fire extinguisher? Why did you kill that police officer? Or the other pictures of these guys crushing police officers in these doors. Why did what, you crush what motivated them? You, yeah. Why did you crush them? Why do you, yeah, because there will be a lot of people in the next two years that will be called to come to trial. They will literally have a come to Jesus moment, and you can already see them turning on the president. And, so. and, and the pre- President Trump has a lot of uh, uh, bluster and a lot of braggadocious energy. But now that you start to see, you have this case, you have the two voting machine uh, companies that are suing for over uh, for uh, over billions of dollars, and they can prove those are actual damages. That they didn't just pull a number out of the sky; like that's a legit number. So you have Rudy Giuliani and the president. You have this lawsuit. You have the a couple of lawsuits from the voting machines. You have the state of Georgia opening up criminal um, uh, prosecution, possibly for trying to uh, influence that election. You have the state of New York who is not happy at all. Uh, they are looking into fraudulent tax records uh, and all the maneuverings of, of the Trump real estate empire and how they did all that. So like they're, 
And in those cases, you don't just get to throw out more lies and say, I'm not going to testify. Uh, if you're in the, you know, lower Manhattan court and you are called to testify, you're subpoenaed to testify. I mean, either that, or if you just abstain, you're going to get convicted because no one, you know, and it seems like very few high powered lawyers are stepping up to be in the Trump camp anymore. We saw that in this impeachment trial that the whole first team just left. And you were left with that second group where dude couldn't even put together a sentence in his opening statement. And yet they still were able to, to, to get their, their client off. Um, so you're going to have the highest powered attorneys on the other side that would love nothing more to convict. And you're going to have a hard time filling the seats on yeah. the other side of the court. And, and, and at some point you push away and you don't get caught up in it because we do need to push away and move forward. And that's what Joe Biden's doing. He's just, he's just moving forward. It seems like that's what his cabinet is doing. They're moving forward. We as the American people need to move forward. But the reason you have to deal with this is he's going to run again. He will not win without Twitter. He would have never won in the first place without Twitter. There's no way he can win with it. 100 million people follow him. 74 million people voted for him. Uh, And if he was on Twitter today, I bet he would have another 100 million followers on top of that. If Twitter decides at some point to give him that account back, look out. Because he has a real chance at winning. Uh, and also, he has a real chance at what we, saw, what we saw at the Capitol Hill riots. That could have never happened without Twitter. It just wouldn't have. When Mitch McConnell went down on the floor of the House the other day and, and really started throwing stones, what Donald Trump did is he released a really long emotional crybaby statement. It's not the same. Because then what the press does is they sit there and they cut it all up and they inject all their opinion and what he was saying. And so you don't have this from my brain to my Twitter account and out into the world uh, ability anymore. That has been maybe forever taken away. And all of his followers have been trained for five years to think that all those media outlets are fake. So they don't even read it. So this chapter is going to be among the most interesting in U.S. history. Because now you're going to have all the historians go in and have access to the, all the documents in the White House. They're going to start to do these narratives. You're going to have a bunch of disgruntled people that are disillusioned and burnt and used up and run over by the bus uh, giving their stories. So they're going to have a lot of books, a lot of historian, a lot of law cases so that go on for a long time. And these things move slowly, but it is going to be, if you're a history buff at all, I know that you are, we we're living in, in one of the most interesting phases of presidential politics in the history of America. Yeah. And just to put a bow around that, the, the thing that he should face trial for is for all the dead people that have died from the coronavirus. That's the reason he didn't get reelected. His team knows that they've done their own research it has nothing to do with the election results. Even though people started buying into that it had everything to do Republicans, Democrats with the way he handled or mishandled the coronavirus. And we know he lied because we have him on tape talking to Bob Woodward. And you know what happened? Know what happened is there's a lot of Vietnam vets that knew Bob Woodward and trusted him from Watergate. And now fast forward to today when Bob Woodward, as I said before, when he released those conversations and we saw the president lie, people that believe the president, especially older men in America, they shifted and said, you know what? I don't believe Trump anymore. I believe Bob Woodward. We'll see you on the other side. With over a million plays, the Ron and Don radio show is the fastest growing show in the Pacific Northwest. 
All right, you guys, don't forget, we're licensed brokers at Windermere. We'd love to sit down with you. It's called the Ronadon Sit Down. We just did that uh, with lots of our new clients this week. If you'd love to sit down with us, we'll sit down with you. There's no obligation. We just want to see if we'd be good team members, hear your real estate story, and where you're headed. We had someone reach out to us the other day and say, you know what? I'm not ready to buy a house, but I'd love to buy a house. How do I do this? They're probably a year away from buying a house, but in the next year, we're going to work with them and do their work to get them in a position with their credit score and their down payment and their debts and their student loans to get in a place where they can actually pull the trigger and buy a house. We have teams of people that are part of the Ron and Don team that can help us with that, and they can certainly help you with uh, help all you guys. So ronanddonsitdown.com, and uh, we'll virtually sit down with you today. Before we get out of here, I think this is really interesting, and as you're listening to this, the nation has been getting pummeled with snowstorms, and specifically in Texas, where their infrastructure and their grid is completely falling apart. And as a result of that, as I said before, I saw pictures today of people with snow, and they're, they're trying to melt and cook snow in order to survive, in order, order to uh, have fresh water, because they don't have fresh water, they don't have electricity. And so what Ted Cruz did is he told everyone to stay home, and then they got on a plane and went to Cancun. Oh, good for him. <laughs> Thanks, Senator. <laughs> when I heard that story, I'm like, of course he did. What, what would you do if you're a mayor in a small town of Texas? Uh, and this is from the BBC. And there's a lot of people that are just calling your office and they're saying, hey, we're in trouble. Uh, we need to get to the hospital. Uh, we're having a baby. We're out of food. Uh, we are freezing to death. We don't have any fresh water. We feel like we're going to die. Uh, so they're calling your office and then what would you do if you had the opportunity to just run out on Facebook and leave a message for the city? This is what this mayor did. It says the mayor of a city in Texas has been forced to quit after posting that quote, only the strong will survive and the weak will perish in a deadly winter storm uh, sweeping the Southern U S state. Tim Boyd, the mayor of Colorado city took to Facebook in anger at people uh, quote, unquote, he said, crying and looking for a handout. Sink or swim. It's your choice, he raised. He raged. The city and the country or any other service owes you nothing. Of course, millions now. It's the third day without power. They're struggling for heat in Texas. More than 20 people have died across uh, the four southern states. Uh, and then they go on to take talk more about Mayor Boyd, where he said, uh, let me go ahead and hurt some feelings right now while I have a minute. And then he just continued to rip people apart. And he said, you know what? Again, only the strong will survive. The weak will perish. And he said, uh, what do you want? A socialist government. Um, clearly, this guy deserved to be removed from his office. There are some... I don't want to pretend like I agree with him because I don't, because that's exactly what his job in particular that is, that's literally your job. You, you, sign, are, you sign up to get those right. phone calls you, and in the middle of the night. The, you're you, paid by taxpayer money to do those yeah, services. Yeah, and but, in the meantime, you cut blue ribbons and you kiss babies and you do all that stuff. When the ha hits the fan. You're supposed to respond. Or when the fan's not working because electricity uh, is not working. That's when you, that's when you step I, in. I do think there's a kernel of truth in this regard. Um, people should be better prepared for disaster. Yep. And uh, I have a bunch of those like disaster go bags and people sometimes make fun of me like, how many do you need? I'm like, hey, you know what? I've got five of them and they're placed in different places. And if I ever need to go, there's water in there, there's food in there, there's blankets, there's the whole, like I have just these, these 
backpacks all over the place. Um, you know, after we went through Katrina, it's like, I don't want to be that guy anymore. I own a generator. Uh, I have a camping stove that you can cook with, with, uh, little gas canisters. Uh, I have, you know, food items like tuna fish and things that stay in cans that you can, that I can eat. Who wants to eat tuna fish? Well, if it came down to I'm it, I would eat to eat. Okay. Oh my God. Well, my point is, so th- you can't You're always like when you plan. Pour, don't you go, oh my God. This smells like this tuna fish. This dead fish has been in here probably 10 years. And guess what? That dead fish has probably been in there for 10 years. I doctored And guess it up. what else? I 70, up. 70% of the time, it's not tuna. It's some other kind of fish. Well, what what so are you putting in your you go bag? What's that? Protein bars? You know what the problem with the go bag is? Is I kept putting it in my truck. I had three different go bags in there. And people kept breaking in my truck. And that's what they would steal. I think the guy that stole the first one went, I wonder if he'll replace it. Which stupid me did. So bam, another month late, a couple months later, I get hit. They took my third go bag that I had in my because I'm more concerned about being out in the community. But I have I have two here at the house. I have these in my Airbnb, so I have extra water, all that stuff. Uh, but after they they, I have to say, after the third go bag, along with my spin shoes that I had for ten years, my favorite shoes were stolen out of my truck on the third swing. I went, I'm I'm. When I'm out of my truck, I'm just going to have to figure it out. So, so. I, I think that there's a kernel of truth in that. People should be more prepared. Um, you know, it always breaks my heart when you see a scenario where a disaster is happening. And if you have old people or folks that don't have a car that rely on public transportation that, you know, are living paycheck to paycheck that don't have any extra resources to buy any of these emergency supplies. So he's right in the sense of there may not be someone coming for you in a, in a case like this. Theoretically, it should be the police and it should be fire and rescue. But in a case like we're seeing in Texas, they are overwhelmed. There is not enough manpower and woman power to respond to everything. So in, in that sense, there isn't anyone coming to get you. And you should be prepared to say what would happen uh, in these scenarios. He just could have he, he he said it away. He apologized later. And so you just wonder what was really going on in his life. And he didn't do a full apology. He just said older people didn't deserve that from him. <laughs> yeah that guy's so if you're younger there's a lot of people in texas that would have loved that message though <laughs> damn right well i got my shotgun and they like they go down the whole deal yeah, that's right all right you guys that's episode of 225 please hit subscribe on your favorite podcast your favorite i'm sorry about that your favorite podcast player and then when our show drops on monday wednesday and thursday it'll just automatically come to you and you'll be ready to go because it drops three times a week at about 4 a.m. Also, go to ronanddonsitdown.com, get signed up for the Nation News. And uh, this week, I wrote something that we're going to talk about in episode 226 about getting a refund on the defund of the police uh, here in Seattle. So anyway, just go to ronanddonsitdown.com if you want to sit down with us or get signed up for the Nation News. And let's stay in touch. Right. Thanks for stopping by. He's Ron. I'm Don. Thanks for giving us great lives. You keep your head up, your shoulders back. We'll see you next time for episode 226 only on the Ron and Don Radio Network. Hey, thanks for listening to the Ron and Don Show. Now keep your head up and your shoulders back and find some black belt courage. Ah! I'm not kidding. <laughs>